Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors, or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicki at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. Always got to wait till the drums hit. How you doing? Welcome to the program. I'm Vicki McKenna. Mr. Dave McCann, fresh from a um, leisurely day off the show, right? That's what I've been told. I was told that you were just kicked back watching golf all day long yesterday. Is that correct, Dave? <laughs> it might be. It might be. It might not be as well. No, actually, Dave was doing the uh, you were doing the basketball game yesterday, which is why you weren't on the show. Welcome back to the program. Happy New Year to you, Dave. Um, before I get into anything on the program, which will include Ron Johnson on the show, Duke Pest on the show, lots of fun stuff, stuff that is fun. I'm sorry. I want to be grammatically correct here. Um, I have your contest word. What are we calling this? The grand in your hand contest. The Grand in Your Hand contest, it's a nationwide contest that we are doing here uh, in Madison on iHeartRadio, where you text in a word and you could potentially win $1,000 instantly. The Grand in Your Hand contest, here is the word for this hour. This hour's word is the word luck, L-U-C, I'm not sorry, not luck. What is my problem with this? I got to scratch off my words. That was two o'clock's word. This hour's word is bank, B-A-N-K, bank. Text the word bank to win bank to the number 200, 200, 200, 200 is your number. 200, 200 is your number. The word is bank, B-A-N-K. Take it to the bank if you win. Remember, if you do play the contest, which is going on right now for the next, you know, let's see, 41 minutes, you could win $1,000 instantly. You will receive a confirmation text. If you play the contest, you will also receive additional texts from iHeartRadio. Standard data and message rate supply. Already had a winner on our Milwaukee station today. I think it was today. Uh, so we absolutely have local people win these contests. We would love it if I could come on the air and announce that, you know, Joe Schmo from, you know, Random, Wisconsin uh, was listening to the Vicki McKenna show on WIBA and won $1,000. I would I would like to say any name, be it Joe Schmo or Joe Blow or, you know, John Q. Public. Anyway, this contest is going on until four o'clock. At four o'clock, I'll give you a new word and you can keep playing all show long. All right. So the word this hour is bank, B-A-N-K. The number is 200-200. Good luck. I hope you win. There. I basically didn't screw it up. 
I'm normally not used to doing these contests live. Well, just ignore the opening five seconds. I know. I almost got it right. I'm so not used to doing these live in Madison. We usually have a recorded, you know, sounder that we do, and now I'm doing them live. And so, you know, I'm trying not to screw it up because screwing it up might mean you don't even have a chance to play. And I definitely want you to play this contest. Again, we'll have another new word coming up at 4 p.m. I better tack this to my board so I don't lose it. Uh, and uh, But right now, the word is bank. All right, good luck. Here's what's coming up. Ron Johnson will join me on the program. We'll talk about illegal sales taxes, illegal sales taxes being collected as we speak in Wisconsin. Illegal sales taxes. Oh, this is a good one. You'll love this. Um, Also on the program, we'll check in with Andre Jacques. Ron Johnson's coming up next. Welcome back to the program. That makes me want a cha-cha, Dave. Just in case you were wondering, that was a cha-cha beat. Yeah. All right. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson is standing by on the phone to, let's just sort of do a a really quick year in review, but then um, let's look into the continued exposure of what is starting to look like like malfeasance, frankly, uh, with regard to the FBI investigation of the Clinton emails and the FBI investigation and Mueller investigation of the Trump administration. It's great to have you back, by the way, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and your listeners. All right. Let's, let's do a quick year in review. Um, because the headlines, which were all hyperbole and all about either this, tr- this tweet or, you know, something that, that I guess is, is, is great distraction if you're a cat that likes to be distracted by shiny objects. But there are some notable successes that you can list from last year, um, both from Congress and from this administration, not the least of which is an improving economy and a major tax reform. Well, I think the most significant thing that happened in 2017 was we stopped increasing the regulation, regulatory burden on the American economy. You know, I always talked about that as being the silent killer of economic activity, and it is. It's still a massive burden, but at least we stopped growing it. And in many respects, we started rolling it back. And we really won't know until uh, we get more and more of the reports in. But, again, you can take a look at a number of pages of the Federal Register. A lot of those added under the Trump administration are literally overwriting bad regulations and pulling things back. So I think that is a major accomplishment of the Trump administration, Very done very quietly. Uh, the, the left progressive screened about some of the, the stuff, but really just stopping increasing the, the regulatory burden is enormous because you've got businesses that aren't having to look over their shoulder looking at the new regulations going to put them out of business or cost them millions in compliance costs. That was a significant achievement. And then at the, at the end of the year, I think the, the pro-growth tax reform uh, will is, is kind of the second leg in that stool. And I think what we need to do in 2000. 18 is really take a look at the workforce and with welfare reform and immigration, you know, solving our, our immigration problem, which is a problem, uh, will hopefully give us the workers we need in a growing economy. Yeah. And I think and I, and I do want to talk about the, the immigration question, because uh, I think the better question 
to answer is what we're going to do to improve the way we handle legal immigration. I think illegal immigration is not nearly the nut to crack that legal immigration has become in the United States. But let's stay on the economy for a second and, and specifically on what the regulatory rollback. It was it was overt regulatory rollback or it was at the very least benign neglect. Um, and what in terms of the overt regulatory rollback, it was, I think the number was calculated, calculated at 22 to 1. For every one regulation that got put on the books, 22 were either suspended or removed. And as you said, some of that required additional pages to the Federal Registry, but that was overriding bad regulation. That's, I, 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 in my lifetime, Senator, I, I can't remember a time where we actually saw that. It translated almost instantly to business enthusiasm and to, into positive outlook for job creation. No, if you're going to be in business and you're going to be investing in your business, you want regulatory certainty, you want tax certainty. And that's what this administration has given them. You know, businesses, re- and again, I think that's jaw-dropping, 22 to 1. I, I would always say tongue-in-cheek when uh, people, and this is actually a Canadian or a British rule, the two in, the one in, two out rule. And I'd always say, well, you know, that's good, but I'd rather go for one in, ten out. I mean, Trump way overdid us there, one in, you know, 22 out. For every one in, it's amazing. That, that, that is, no, it's, that's tremendous. We'll see if that uh, really holds up uh, as, we, as we really kind of sort this all out. But uh, it, it's been an, it's been an amazing. Uh, stoppage of overregulation. Yeah, because remember, you and I, when, last time we talked specifically about regulation, the estimated cost of the American economy was $1.7 trillion per oh, year just in regulatory compliance. $15,000 per year per household. And again, you, you, nobody writes a check for that, so you don't have the, the outrage. That's why I always call it the silent killer, and it's also the silent success. Trump's not getting the kind of credit he really deserves from that. But again, that's, that's where I really credit the, the optimism, the increased economic activity, is that, that, that stopping of the overregulation. You know, and kudos on, on the tax reform as well, which, by the way, again, the, even the media at the end of the year had to had to admit that everybody's going to get a tax break unless you're at the very, very high income uh, levels and you live in a high tax state. Um, I, I had a, done my estimated 2017 taxes. I have to write a check. But then I asked to see, you know, if you just kind of ballpark what 2018 is going to look like, it's looking a lot rosier for me in 2018. So after this set of taxes that I'm going to have to file, um, you know, I think my tax picture is going to look a lot more positive, and thank you very much for that. Because this year, based on the old law, um, I'm writing a check to the United States government. And let's face it, American businesses were not competitive globally. Now they will be. And I, I hate kind of using these projections, but it's sure to sound like most American families are going to get somewhere, if you pay income taxes, somewhere between a $1,000 and $2,000 tax break this year. That's significant. That, that's a big deal. And they're going to start seeing that in their paychecks probably come February. And so the lies of the left, I think, will be hopefully exposed. And then what you'll probably see here out of Republican Congress is we'll, we'll make a point to make those tax breaks permanent. I know the left was screaming, well, it's permanent for the corporations, but not permanent for individuals. That's because individuals ought to be pretty easy for us to make those things permanent on a bipartisan basis. Let's see if we, yeah, let's see if the Democrats balk at that. Um, I certainly hope you do that. Um, but I want to talk about this, the, the the work that no one's really given a lot of attention to. Daily Caller, Washington Times, some of the right-leaning news outlets have given you attention for the work you've done to expose what is starting to look like almost overt malfeasance in some cases regarding the way the Hillary Clinton email investigation was conducted and the way the Mueller investigation is going 
going forward, not the least of which on the Mueller investigation, is the use of a salacious, unverified, likely slanderous and lie-riddled um, dossier to get FISA surveillance warrants to, you know, to spy on, on members of the Trump transition team and the Trump campaign. This is for what? For, I mean, for what? Because uh, George Papadopoulos got drunk in a bar in Australia? I don't think so. And and the But it's because you, your committee, House committees, Devin Nunez in the House, have done work to expose this that we're starting to learn just how thin the beer is of this Russia, Russia, Russia narrative. Well, let me start by saying, because I'll get criticized if I don't, the vast majority of people working in, in public safety positions, including the FBI, are patriotic Americans doing a great job, often risking their lives. There's no doubt about that. But we've gone beyond, you know, a, a potential bias from some of the people in the higher up to almost to a point of where it might look like a conspiracy, Vicky. You know, that, that's certainly my concern. But again, that would be a few individuals in the higher echelons of some of these agencies. And, and it's kind of what it looks like in the FBI. And I keep telling people in the administration, if, if, you, if you are concerned about the reputation of your of your agency make this information public i mean it's bizarre to me that the fbi would require when they're when their director comey was being investigated for a hatch act violation that's basically using government resources for for political purposes that for the first time in in history the office of special counsel is required to in in you know uh, engage in a, a non-disclosure agreement they, they had to do a non-disclosure agreement for the FBI to turn over the, the information they needed to do the investigation of Hatch Act violation. That's just unheard of. It's bizarre. Why would the FBI be, you know, why would Comey require that before he started giving information uh-uh. to the Office of Special Counsel to do, do their investigation? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. It's just bizarre. And that's bizarre. And that's something that has gotten almost no attention. Um, but it's also the FBI kicking and Department of Justice kicking back on giving information to the House committee, to the Senate committees, to your committee, to Nunez's committee. Um, and, and it's the persistence of, of members of Congress that has gotten as much information to the public and, you know, some Freedom of Information Act requests, quite frankly, that have allowed this to be exposed more broadly. Um, you know, I mean, you've got a guy who I think is one of the more fair-minded former federal prosecutors, Andrew McCarthy, uh, who has been watching this and is attempting to be as, as, you know, neutral as he possibly can, is as close to saying this is a rigged investigation of Team Trump as he as he can possibly get without just committing to it. That, that 
that's not a good sign. It seems like the Department of Justice has been weaponized prior even to Trump being seated in office against the president. Um, you know, be it the, the strange conversation between partisans at the FBI about an insurance policy to now what appears to be the information that the FBI used to salacious and Comey himself said unverified dossier to shine on a FISA judge to get surveillance warrants. I mean, this is not what the United States government is supposed to be doing to its people. No, we, we saw the Obama administration weaponize the IRS uh, against Tea Party groups. And, you know, I, I think appropriately President Trump, when he, when he first won, uh, basically told everybody back off the Hillary Clinton email investigation. She lost. She's kind of been held accountable. Let's move on. And I think that's the appropriate thing to do. That's, you know, you, you go after your political opponent when you win in banana republics. I mean, so I, I think the Trump administration was, was right, right after he won to say back off. But the problem is, is the revelations that have occurred with Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, and you start seeing the unbelievable bias and talk of potential conspiracy coming out of this. When you, then you go back and you take a look at what happened in the investigation directed by, by Comey with Hillary Clinton's emails, and it just was not an investigation designed to uncover the truth leading to a prosecution. It literally was, from my standpoint, I've been saying this literally for years because we work on this, an investigation meant to cover up and exonerate. And now you start understanding why that is. It's because you have these very political, politicized figures at the highest levels of the FBI. We need to, we need to uncover this. We, we should have uncovered what happened with Lois Lerner and the, uh, and, the, and the IRS. This cannot be allowed to stand. People who engage in that kind of behavior in these agencies need to be held accountable. They need to be prosecuted. It can't just be covered I agree. up. We can't, we can't allow them just to retire. Because now what's happening with, with McCabe, he's going to retire, what, at the age of 50, pulled on full retirement, which begs a whole other question. What's going on in government when you can re- retire after, after 25 years, full pension? I mean, where do we come to a point in this country where literally you can work 25 years out of lifespan of about 75 and expect somehow you're going to be taken care of in pensions paid for yeah by when you didn't do anything that's bizarre yeah and you were not advancing any kind of great cause you were just acting as a is a bureaucratic partisan um, and I'm with you on on McCabe don't I mean in, or learner by the way the, the way anything from the IRS has really been exposed is a lawsuit fi- by the Tea Party Patriots and Mark Meckler Freedom of Information Act requests success by um, a, an advocacy group called Judicial Watch which has had some success on the FBI Clinton email investigation and and the and the work being done by congressional committees. Not that the media is taking up much of this. The media, in fact, on the latest very strong suggestion that the FBI used a known phonied up dossier to get a FISA court judge to sign off on surveillance warrants, which I I find extraordinary. The New York Times is trying to pin this whole thing on some on some schmo. George Papadopoulos, who no one ever heard of, uh, and, and a drunken conversation he had in Australia with some Australian diplomat. I mean, Ron, that's that that wouldn't even hold anybody's attention in a in a ninety minute soap opera. Yeah, you know, Andrew McCarthy's done a great job in the last couple of articles he's written. Very very long articles, but he lays out the timeline, which is incredibly important. And, and obviously, he just made that shift. I read that New York Times story too, and I scratched my head going. No, I thought this all was because of the dossier. Now he's now he's now they're talking about a completely different. You know, it was, it was about Carter. Now it's about Papadopoulos. So no, it's it's very it's it's amazing, but it's so confusing. There's so many moving parts here. You really have to go down in a very organized fashion 
just go through the timeline here, and you, you really will start scratching your head. You realize there, there's something pretty fishy at the bottom of all this. The, and, and it also um, strongly suggests that the Mueller investigation should should not be allowed to be funded and continued at the same time. You know, there's political peril in pulling that apart. So it almost seems like if you know that that the 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 game plan ought to be Congress just keep investigating and exposing more and more um, to allow this investigation to discredit itself because it seems that none of this was actually predicated on any real idea, on any real belief, or any real evidence that there was ever any you know there was any suggestion whatsoever that that members of Trump's campaign team or Trump's transition team ever sat down and tried to collude on anything with Russia. No, you know, during Rex Tillerson's, this is a different agency entirely, during Rex Tillerson's confirmation hearing, I asked the nominee at that point in time, now Secretary of State Tillerson, how are you going to deal with an agency, let's be honest about this, that is, you know, not only not for your foreign policy, but probably pretty hostile toward it. And he gave a very politically correct answer. And, and again, he's doing a great job of redesigning the agency, relying on on dedicated professional foreign foreign service, you know, long-term uh, employees. But but that's a deep-seated problem throughout these agencies. You've got individuals, that, let's face it, they're drawn to government. They're generally liberal progressive. Conservatives, we don't want to have a whole lot to do with government. So there's already a bias in these agencies of liberal progressives. And when they have been elevated to the top, as we're seeing what happened with Lois Lerner in the, in, the, in the IRS, what we're seeing occur in the FBI, what we're seeing within the EPA, for example. Uh, we're going to have to figure out, as conservatives, how can we root out these political types? We're doing investigation right now with the, the burrowing in of, of and I've, it was, her name is, last name is English, uh, the person who burrowed right. in from OPM into the CFPB, and all of a sudden, no, I'm in charge of this thing. No, you're not. Mick Mulvaney's in charge of this. And again, that was a very politicized burrowing in of a political appointee into a civil service job. Of course, once you're in a civil service job, it's almost impossible to get rid of you, which is why she's still at the CFPB. So Even again, after this, the shenanigans, this, this, this she's still there. It's a long-term project to figure out you know, how do we get rid of these, these incredibly political types in these agencies and the harm they're causing for our democracy. Change civil service rules. And that's well, it's, it's it's hard to do. We're we're working at that. Yeah, because even even Republicans, you know, balk at that. Not all, but you know, enough will balk at that as well. By the way, I just saw a headline today that said thirty thousand federal employees earn more and will retire with more than all the governors in the United States. They earn more they out earn the highest paid governor in the United States. They are thoroughly burrowed in. I like that term. Yeah, like ticks under your skin, you know? Thanks for jumping on the program today. Happy New Year to you, Ron. I'm, I'm always, you know, great to have you on the show and always great, uh, always happy to pick your brain. Have a great night. You too. We'll Take be right care. back. Good afternoon and welcome back. Just checking my watch, Dave, for the next word, because we've got the uh, Grand in Your Hand contest going on. So then, you know, if if people want to uh, win $1,000, if essentially you want to bank $1,000, you could text in the word that I read at the top of the show uh, to the number 200-200 for your chance to to win that $1,000. You know, and another way to say, you know, win that $1,000 if you're a young, hip kid is to say bank that thousand dollars, but I can only give the word out once per hour, so I don't want to. 
overstep my contest authority here. Anyway, um, happy new year to Duke Pesta. He's on the phone with me right now. How you doing? I'm doing great. Happy New Year to you. Thank you very much. Professor Duke Pesta, University of Wisconsin, Oshkosh. The reason I, I have you on the program is a story that I saw today in Milwaukee News. And it was a story about UWM, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Um, supposedly, student activists have discovered that there were, and I'm quoting, dozens of accusations of sexual misconduct or sexual harassment against professors and staff at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Accusations, dozens of accusations, Duke. These students are now demanding the names of the accused. They want the names of the accused. They don't want the nature of the accusations necessarily. They want the names of the accused, and they are organizing to demand that the administration turn over those names. Um, Problem is that the accused are not necessarily guilty of anything. And my concern is, particularly in light of an article that was posted today at The Federalist by D.C. McAllister, um, what has become... A perhaps the, the success finally of feminism to rally women around a common enemy. And the common enemy is the predatory man, is the patriarchy, with this Me Too campaign that they have engaged in in some earnest. Um, and so you've got these students demanding the names of the accused, not the context of the accused or of the accusation, but the names of the accused, and they want blood. Yeah, I think uh, the, there's so little genuine prejudice against or bias or bigotry against women in this country. It is so uh, very rare that you find legitimate uh, oppression of women in this country. Think, I, think about how many women voted against the ERA Act in the 70s and 80s. Think about how many women voted for Donald Trump, refused to vote for Hillary Clinton. Uh, this idea somehow, feminism has lost a lot of footing. Feminism has become really, even, it's even starting to happen a little bit in college campuses. I see more and more of my female students. Even today, some of my female students were really just rolling their eyes when we were talking about certain aspects of modern feminism, and a number of them are starting to speak out about it. So feminism has seen the great strides made by Black Lives Matter to re-racialize the country. Black Lives Matter, this hyperbolic nature of all these these so-called cop killings, right? Uh, Innocent African Americans being gunned down, which is pretty statistically low. But the way, the the great success Black Lives Matter has had in reopening all those wounds and then profiting from them, the feminists have decided they needed to do the same thing. And this hashtag MeTooNow movement uh, seems to be a really good way for them to use intersectionality to catch up with the race baiters and to go back to gender baiting. And if what they can get is just the names of those men accused. Doesn't matter whether they were found innocent or guilty. Doesn't matter if there's any validity to the complaint. They just want names. Just names. So they can so they can make it seem like there are thousands and thousands and thousands of men on college campuses in professorial and administrative positions who do nothing all day but harass women. Yeah, it's almost like um the witch hunted, you know, of the past have become the witch hunters of the present. Um, if you if sort of think of, of analogies here, but this is the problem that, and I'm gonna, I'm going to use you as an example if you don't mind. Sure. An accusation is is not sufficient, particularly on a college campus, to give you any real information about whether somebody committed an offense or not. But you were accused by a student of rape for teaching. Dostoevsky. 
Yeah, uh, about six years ago, seven years ago now, I taught Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment to a bunch of and This was an undergraduate. This was a graduate-level course. And in the process of explaining on the first day of class what Dostoevsky's worldview was, Christian, um, I argued that one of the things that Dostoevsky was arguing against was social Darwinism, which was also big in the late 19th century, this idea uh, that um, if we are just animals, if Darwin's right, then shouldn't we have the ethics and the morality of animals, or the lack thereof, things like rape and murder, are they really wrong? Because they happen all the time in jungles, right? And so simply by pointing that out, and then pointing out that the writer we were going to study adamantly opposed those ideas on the basis of hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Christianity. Uh, the very first day of class, one of my female graduate students left class that opening day. She walked right across campus, and she filed a formal complaint against me with the university, arguing that I had physically raped her on the basis of that conversation. I had never spoken to this woman alone. To this day, I don't even know who she is. I mean, they, she lived, they immediately took her out of my class, gave her another class. This thing took months to, to resolve itself. Every one of my graduate students was, inter, was, was interviewed by the police. Did he talk to her? Did he say anything to her? Did you see the two of them together? And no, 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 not a single shred of evidence I had ever, ever had any contact with this woman whatsoever. I was never any closer to her than the 15 feet she was away from my desk that day. And uh, when I was told when the thing resolved itself, uh, I was told that you, we have found, Dr. Pest, that you did nothing wrong. We have found that the complaints were, were and, and by the way, they never interviewed me about it. They never came and talked to me or asked me what happened. I was being investigated. My kids were being investigated. My students were being interviewed without them ever telling me. And what I was finally told months later was, is that you didn't do anything wrong, that she made up the complaint. But in the future, I was told, you be careful what you say in your classroom. That's the whole story. And, but right now, if, they, if, if you go to my file, all that whole case is in there. So if, if, an accused, if some watchdog feminist group wanted to get a hold of those records, their public policy, they could easily call up those records. They could see Pesta was accused of this. Accused. And the fact that they're accused. And that's enough to get on their list, right? Exactly. UWM students are demanding just the names of the accused. They want the names of the accused. Well, the, I mean, you would be on a list like that. And they don't care what the context of the complaint was. They want the names of the accused. This is exactly what Black Lives Matter did. They made all cops the enemy. They made all white people the enemy. All that was, all that mattered was their claim of racism. But, but what, what D.C. McAllister is arguing in her piece is that... Black Americans have slavery. They have something that sort of unifies the culture of of black Americans born in America, slavery. Feminists don't have that. What are you going to say? Let's rally around equal pay. Well, you already got it. Well, let's rally around, you know, equal protection under the law. Well, you already got it. You already have everything. So what she's saying is that this Me Too mo- mo- movement moment is about getting all women to claim, to make a claim in their own heads 
Well, I've been I've been sexually harassed at one point so that you can harness that and make not just Harvey Weinstein a bad the bad boogeyman, but make the system the bad boogeyman, the male system itself. And it it always begins with something small. And as silly as it seems, it's really been metastasizing rather rather rapidly on campus since this whole thing began. You're right. That's exactly right. And I, look at the hashtag MeToo movement. MeToo is not an empowering phrase. It is a phrase of victimization. Correct. Uh, I've said this for years, and you and I have talked about this. To be a victim in this twisted pr- progressive culture is to be a hero. The best way to be absolutely unchallengeable on a moral level, right, to have absolute moral authority to a liberal is to be a victim. And so uh, there is no consequence. This woman who accused me of raping her, who I'd never even spoken to, she got pulled out of my class. The university gave her an independent study with a teacher she really wanted to work with. She was rewarded for what she did. There was no consequence for the lie. I, even though I did nothing wrong, was told, watch yourself in the future. That's how chilling this is. The accusation that not only is there no consequence for accusing people of these things on a college campus, if you are a woman who accuses a man, you are immediately treated like a victim. You get special priorities. You are allowed special protections. Um, I, I was warned 8,000 times six months ago, Vicki, and you know this. I was accused by a student of political harassment. She didn't like the books that I was teaching, this undergraduate, so she accused me of harassing her politically, which is not even a thing. But her accusation went all the way through the university system. I had to hire a lawyer to defend myself. Once again, this was proven that I had done nothing wrong. And yet her, she was completely rewarded for what she did. I received 17 different emails from the university that I am not allowed to retaliate. I am not allowed to defend myself. I am not allowed to fight this other than the process within the system. Uh, and it was all finally cleared up, but it's in the file now. Correct. I have been accused of political harassment. Yeah. Right? So what does it mean for simply teaching books you didn't like? Yeah, and the, and, and the books were, you want to share the books? C.S. Lewis. I was teaching C.S. Lewis, Lewis and Tolkien. Right. And I warned the kids the first day of class, if you're going to stay in this class, you're going to be exposed to worldviews that are markedly Christian. Lewis was a Christian. Uh, and so on the consequence of, ha- of having her read those books and us discussing them, she said, I harassed her. I offended mm-hmm. her politics. And you would think, because politics is not a protected class, Vicki. Not at any level, not at the university level. Rather than dismiss the case and say, political harassment is not a thing, the university, on its own, without consulting me or the student, they changed the nature of the claim so they could investigate me. They changed it from political harassment, which isn't a thing, to something they could investigate just because they wanted to make sure that I knew that they didn't like the way I taught them. I'll books. be darned. And that's something that's, that, that's exactly what we're talking about. So you've got these UWM students, they just want names. They just want names. They want names and they want, they want to, to you know, make an amorphous enemy to make everyone a victim, make all women victims. Um, that's what Black Lives Matter wanted to do, make all black people victims, empower people through disempowering them by turning everybody into victims. By the way, what ends up happening in this, you have demands for changing the way the rule of law operates, di- obliterating equal protection under the law, making it special protection under the law, um, obliterating due process protections, which we have already seen happen on college campuses, and the list goes on. I mean, ultimately, Black Lives Matter was able to topple 200-year-old statues and make everybody afraid to, you know, to to put out a we support the police sign in their yard. Well, we have absolutely lost the idea of innocent until proven guilty on college campuses. That's gone. 
Good to have you on the program, Duke. Thanks very much for jumping on today. Thanks, Vicki. From the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, Duke Pesta, I'll be right back. You know, Black Lives Matter came successfully for statues and names, and that's continuing on. Um, What the feminists are going to eventually do is come for books, uh, history books. They'll come for music, culture, um, because that's what the feminists have always been missing is sort of a unified sense of victimization. Um, They think that they've captured something with this Me Too movement. This is not, by the way, to diminish people who have experienced actual legitimate sexual harassment or have been victims of sexual violence. You are just sympathetic you were sympathetic people to to bank a political movement off of um in order to try to achieve the political end of universal victimhood uh at least enough to to demand that no longer do we isolate individuals for their bad actions but we condemn an entire class of people for individuals' bad actions. So the individual would be Harvey Weinstein or somebody like that. The class of people would be men generally. And the answer, according to the feminists, would be to completely upend the rule of law and due process and history and culture. I'll be right back. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicki at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. Welcome back to the program. I have another word for you if you'd like to play the um, Grand in Your Hand contest. I'm curious as to how you're going to make this one work like you did the last hour. Oh, yeah? What do you mean make it work like I did the last hour, Dave? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, All right. You need another word this hour. Remember, the words change. They're only good for an hour. Um, in the Grand In Your Hand contest. For those of you who are unfamiliar with what this is, it's a nationwide contest. Your opportunity to text in a word to win $1,000 instantly. Not going to guarantee you're going to win $1,000 instantly, but you could. The word this hour is win. Win is the word this hour. You mark my word, Mr. McCann. I will be able to pull off exactly what I did last hour. This hour as well. But the word this hour is win, W-I-N. Text the word win, W-I-N, to the number 200-200 for your chance to win $1,000. Remember, you will receive a confirmation text if you play. You will also receive additional texts from iHeartRadio. Standard data and message rates apply. So that's on you. Remember, if you have, you know, pay as you go texting, it's going to cost you whatever the texts are. Um, most you, most people have unlimited texting plans, but some of you don't. Anyway, you can still play. Just text in the word win. You have an hour. 
Well, you technically have 41 minutes. I'm sorry, 51 minutes, not 41 minutes. You have 51 minutes. Um, So you've got some opportunity to uh, pull over so that you're not doing this while you're in the car because that would be against the law. And we don't want that. Um, Coming up, Rick Essenberg from Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty is going to join me. Also still ahead on the program, we'll talk about um, Taco Bell and um, online liquor sales. Madison has decided it's going to, I guess, reinvigorate the idea of temperance, alcohol temperance. Paul Soglin is apparently hoping to anoint himself as the resurrection of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, a progressive organization, by the way. See if you can find the old song, Rum by Gum, Dave, the theme song of the Women's Christian Temperance Union and formerly the theme song of the Salvation Army. All right. Uh, What is a bomb cyclone? Has anybody but me been sitting around listening to the reports of this East Coast bomb cyclone and saying to yourself, in all my days of hearing weather reports, I've never in my life heard the phrase bomb cyclone before. Yeah, I know you have been because you never have heard the phrase bomb cyclone before because this is the first time they began using the phrase bomb cyclone. This is just a seriously intense and and will potentially be a rapidly intensifying winter storm hitting the East Coast. It will have gale force winds as these types of winter storms can. This is a, you know, it's it's. Low pressure, the the low pressure falls so rapidly that the storm rapidly intensifies. Um, We've had them before. We've just not called them bomb cyclones before. So you have this incredibly hyperbolic phrase, bomb cyclone. Oh my gosh, batten down the hatches, it's a bomb cyclone. I was looking at a prediction of what this bomb cyclone is going to produce, and it said it's either going to be really windy and cold, or it's going to be nothing. (laughs) So there you have it, the bomb cyclone. Um, I guess we've just run out of ways to terrify people, so we're just making up new ways to describe old weather patterns. This is not... Um, a common weather pattern. It's, it's you know, what sort of once every few years weather, weather pattern that hits. So it isn't something we see every year, but um, it is not unheard of. Anyway. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I'm going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Truly, trying to terrify people about the weather. That's, I guess that's what the media needs to get people to pay attention. If you just say, 
Uh, East Coast is going to be hit with a major winter storm that could dump a lot of snow and high winds and freezing temperatures. Wow, that's what we used to say. That's what we used to say. Then people will say, those East Coast people are a bunch of weather weenies. You know, I mean, northern Wisconsin lives that life for uh, several months out of the year. Minnesota lives that life. Parts of Canada live that life. Uh, even occasionally down here in southern Wisconsin, we live that life. Um, so that so it minimizes the oh my gosh factor. So call it a bomb cyclone, bomb cyc bomb cyclone. Good gracious. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, I want to talk about illegal sales taxes. Illegal sales taxes. Are there such a thing in Wisconsin as illegal sales taxes? And the answer is. Maybe. Uh, Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty has taken up the case of the Brown County Taxpayers Association as they seek to fight back against a sales tax being enacted in Brown County. By the way, this will have potential impacts beyond the borders of Brown County. But this is the case that is being used to test the theory of whether or not the sales tax is legal or illegal. And it has to do with how the sales tax is being used by the the various body of government, in this case, the Brown County Board. Rick Essenberg from the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty is on the phone to talk about this. Is the sales tax in Brown County, Rick, Happy New Year, by the way, illegal? Happy New Year. Uh, we think it is. And the, the reason is this. When the legislature gave counties the power to enact sales tax for their own uh, revenue purposes. It said you may only do it to provide direct property tax relief. What's happened in Brown County is they've imposed a sales tax, but if you add the expected proceeds of the sales tax and the uh, property tax levy that Brown County has approved for the year, the total of those two numbers exceeds their property tax levy limit. So what they're using the sales tax to do is to collect more in tax revenue than they otherwise would have been able to collect. That is not providing direct property tax relief. That's using the sales tax to spend more money. The legislature said you can't do that. And so that's the issue that's teed up in our case up in Brown County. All right. And there's there's potentially other counties that are going to be on the hook for the same problem if, in fact, you're successful with the case in Brown County. Well, it would depend, right? It, it would depend upon, you know, what the situation was when they enacted the sales tax. And, you know, it may be that there are counties who are using this for direct property tax relief. But in Brown County, uh, we can see that they're not. That this was really a way to um, uh, to, to spend more money uh, without having to go to the uh, taxpayers of Brown County and have a referendum that would either... Um, approve um, an increase in the levy limit, because you can do that if you want to tax more, or um, approve bonding so that they could borrow mm-hmm. the money to take care of some of these facilities that they want to take care of. Question, because uh, I know that it's on the minds of people in Dane County. We have a half-cent sales tax in Dane County, ostensibly to build a jail that was billed to half expectation. But once it was completed, the sales tax continually was collected, and it is counted on for the bottom line of the county budget, would potentially Dane County be on the hook? Well, potentially, right? Because because particularly if you have, you know, satisfied the if you enacted the sales tax for purposes of, 
you know, building a particular thing. And, you know, without getting into the legal inside baseball, there was a uh, an attorney general uh, opinion from Jim Doyle a number of years back that said you could do that, but that was before the levy limits, and so we can argue back and forth about what that means. But if the purpose for which the, prop- the, the sales tax uh, was enacted has been um, uh, Exhausted. satisfied, yeah. then, uh, and if the proceeds of the sales tax and the Dane County levy limit, um, the, the property taxes levied by Dane County uh, exceed the levy limit, yes, then I think there's an issue there that might have to be looked at. Um, that would be co- kind of ironic because... Uh, you know, if you go back uh, to the 80s when counties were given the authority to enact sales tax, um, it was uh, none other than then State Senator Russ Feingold and County Executive Jonathan Berry, who wanted the power to do that, Jonathan Berry being the county executive then in Dane County. But they made clear that they wanted to do it for purposes of property tax relief. They wanted to shift the burden. They wanted to shift the burden from property taxpayers to the sales tax, a consumption tax. And one of the arguments being, you know, well, people come in and visit and they spend their money. And so it's is, you know, this, it's just, it, they, they were arguing for a tax shift, not an additional tax. Even Russ Feingold was arguing for a tax shift. Right. And that's always the problem when we talk about tax shifts. You know, when we talk about maybe having a value added tax on the national level. Um, you have to be very, very careful. Sometimes that might make sense. A consumption tax might make a great deal more sense than an income tax, but you have to you have to be careful that what you don't wind up with is the same income tax that you had before, now coupled with a consumption tax. It if if you're going to have a tax shift, let's have a tax shift. Let's not have a tax addition. But the the language in the law was pretty explicit. It wasn't about. Um, it wasn't about relieving, providing property tax relief. It was about an, a dollar-to-dollar reduction in the levy. A, yeah, yeah. It, says, it says direct reduction. And so, uh, uh, you know, one of the arguments that Brown County makes is, well, we could have borrowed the money for this. If we borrow the money, the debt service isn't counted against the levy limit. Um, the problem with that is that that, that argument proves too much. Um, any county then at any time would be able to say, well, we could have borrowed the money, and uh, and therefore we're able to uh, use this to enhance revenue, um, you know, what for practical purposes is an unlimited way. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, is they didn't do what they needed to do to borrow money. Uh, state law uh, sets forth a number of hoops and obstacles that you have to go through before you can bond something. Brown County didn't do any of that. And so uh, uh, we think that... Uh, uh, what what's happened here, and you know, is uh, uh, that the county board has used this sort of as an end around the levying limits. And um, if these pro- projects are are you know worthy, and maybe they are, I don't know, uh, then the way to do that would have been to uh, go to referendum. Oh yeah, and they've got a whole they got a nice little list of projects they plan to enact with the sales tax, which is I'm I'm told begins. In 2018, it's, it's, it's essentially the collection of it is supposed to have begun. Yeah, the collection okay. has begun, and uh, uh, we will go to court and we'll ask the judge to um, to stop the collection of the sales tax pending the outcome of the lawsuit, or in the alternative, to tell the Department of Revenue to hold the money. Because the, the way that this works is, you know, when you impose a county sales tax, the money actually you know comes to Madison. The Department right. of Revenue collects it, and then it disperses it to the you know, to the question to which it applies. Rick, uh, it, it, and I know that we're, th- this is the what if part of the interview here. What if you're successful? 
Now, I know what happens in Brown County, but what then is the implication if there are multiple other counties and, and one of your uh, colleagues at, at Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty said there could be 10 or more other counties that have been doing the exact same thing. How do you seek a resolution in the event that they are also illegally collecting sales taxes? Well, you know, um, um, they'll be put to a choice. I mean, if it turns out that there's a problem there, and I, and I, I don't want to speculate about that because Could we've, be. looked, now, at Brown, we don't, yeah, we've no. looked at Brown County, but, 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 but certainly the issue might arise. And uh, at that point, uh, you know, you'd, you'd have some choices to make. Uh, you'd either have to reduce your spending or you'd have to go to the voters and you'd have to convince them that, you know, a levy limit is appropriate, or maybe you'd even go to the legislature and you'd say, legislature, can, can, can you fix this problem for us? But in, under, under any of these circumstances, politicians would have to make tough choices and not simply say, well, we're going to raise the sales tax and, uh, you know, don't worry about it too much because a lot of it will be collected by people, uh, you know, or visiting Packers games. That probably isn't true. Most of this is probably paid by people sure. in Brown County. But, but you know, that's the that's the... That's the argument that's made to, you know, sell the sales tax. And sure, but again, it's supposed to be a dollar-to-dollar reduction right. in property taxes, which is not the case in Brown County, which could potentially um, impact other counties that also are collecting sales taxes. And, I mean, a lot of this is because, in, in, at least in the case of Brown County, it appears they did not want to have to make the case to borrow. They have an, a massive borrowing limit in Brown County, just like we do in Dane County, because the constitutional borrowing limits are huge. Um, But when you take a look at daily debt service, um, and I don't know the situation per se in Brown County, but I know the situation in Dane County, the daily debt service is massive. And so maybe you had the county board not wanting to actually have to make a justification for, you know, $150,000 or $100,000 a day servicing the debt, which comes straight out of the operating budget. Right, right. I mean, the, 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 uh, uh, the, the legislature um, excluded um, debt service from the levy limit for a reason, and that is because it, it, there would be extraordinary circumstances under which a, a county might want to borrow. But that doesn't mean that the mere potential to borrow for anything and everything means that um, we can say that uh, the fact that we uh, we could have borrowed the money and that wouldn't have been counted by the levy limit means that our uh, 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 avoiding increasing the property tax uh, in that way by going through that process means that we've provided direct relief. We haven't provided uh, direct and relief. By the way, and in fact, you, you again, if you want to borrow money as a county, there are things you have to do, and then ultimately, even if you do, it counts against your debt limit, uh, although you're right, they're they They're massive. massive. Yeah, but here's here's something Brown County always could have done. You want to exceed the levy limit, go to referendum. Right. Always could have done that. Didn't want to go to referendum. Maybe they were worried they might lose the referendum. But that's no excuse to violate the law if, in fact, that is what's going on, and ultimately a, a court is going to determine that. You filed the case. When do you expect, you know, to begin arguing this case? You know, I don't know. I mean, I hope sometime, you know, within a month or so, we can we can get a hearing date on a motion for a preliminary injunction uh, uh, because, you know, the... Um, once you collect this tax, you could have the Department of Revenue hold it, and the Department of Revenue then could, you know, there is a refund process, and or they could use the money to provide property tax relief. But, you know, the problem is, is that um, uh, you can't, um, 
uh, you really can't identify in most cases who paid sales tax. So once you've taken the money from yep. somebody, there's really no a practical way to get it back. I, I tell you what, right out of the box in 2018, this is great. I mean, this is a pretty big case, actually, um, that could have wide-reaching implications in Wisconsin. And maybe it's limited to Brown County, but again, we don't know because we you, you haven't had a chance to peel through all of these counties' records and how they've been accounting for their sales tax. But um, but it, I have a feeling there's an awful lot of nervous people in county government right now. Could be. Could be. Good to have you on the program, Rick. Thanks very much. Thanks, Vicki. Take care. From the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, Rick Essenberg. We'll be right back. Lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, welcome back. I haven't heard this song in two days. My Dire Straits channel on iHeartRadio Music App. Yeah. I love that song. Um, hey, before we get to Andre Jacques, state rep Andre Jacques here, who's standing by on the phone, I do want to just read a quick email that I received from <clears throat> State Representative Jim Ott. It has nothing to do with... Uh, politics or anything like that. I had asked him about this bomb cyclone, this term bomb cyclone. And and this was my email to him. What the question mark? And then and you open up the email and it says, is a bomb cyclone. I've never heard of this term. Jim writes back. I don't think I've ever heard of the term bomb cyclone. Mind you, he's a meteorologist. Meteorologists have always referred to these exceptionally strong winter storms that move up the East Coast just off the shore as nor'easters. Yes, very familiar term, nor'easter. That is because with the low pressure center moving just off the coast, the surface winds are out of the Northeast and exceptionally strong winds with heavy snow falling across New England and sometimes even farther south to New York and Washington, D.C., These storms get their energy from the conditions where very cold air covers the continent adjacent to the relatively warm water in the Atlantic. There typically are a number of these storms of varying intensity each winter, sometimes more and sometimes less. I guess someone decided that the old terminology isn't sufficient to describe the storm, which definitely raises the question to me, how can something like this be happening when the planet is supposedly overheating? It's a nor'easter, not a bomb cyclone. It's a nor'easter. It's a particularly strong nor'easter, apparently, or maybe not, but it's a nor'easter. Thank you, Jim Ott. One more reason why he is my adopted state rep. Um, All right. State Rep. Andre Jacques is on the phone with me, who may become my adopted state senator. I'm not sure. I don't live in your district, but you are running for Senate. That would be fantastic to have you as my adopted constituent. Oh, thanks, Andre. I appreciate it. Um, so you've got a very favorable district. Uh, right now, you're not sure what you know the opposition is going to be, but you are planning to make a move, if you can, to the Wisconsin Senate, which begs the question, of course, why? Well, 
just to have an opportunity to make a greater impact for my constituents, really to continue my work, and then really have been proud to lead on a number of conservative reforms. And of course, entered the state assembly, and always going to have fond memories of Act 10 and everything from 2010 forward. And uh, of course, prevailing wage and the pro-life legislation that I've uh, brought forward. But in the uh, in the Senate, it's a smaller chamber, and everybody's political capital stretches a little bit further, and. Uh, I'd just like to think that uh, it's going to, even with a lot of the same faces around the building, it's going to give me an opportunity to get uh, a few more conservative reforms done and uh, to join the efforts of those that are already in the uh, in the Senate. It's uh, becoming, I think, the, uh, the more conservative chamber and uh, happy to do what I can to contribute towards that. And, you know, it is, and, and we've said this on the show here on this radio program many times, and I've said this on my Milwaukee radio program many times, that what we need to do is draft an everly, an ever increasingly conservative Senate. Um, you know, and and it really does. For you remember Act Ten. Act Ten was beholden to one vote in the Wisconsin Senate, and you know, I mean, there were a number of people who wanted to go soft on other conservative reforms, uh, who, many of whom have moved out since that time, but um, but we didn't have the strong sort of conservative backbone in the Senate uh, a handful of years ago that we appear to be developing now with the election of people like Steve Noss and Chris Kappinga and Dewey Strobel and David Craig. And I think that making Wisconsin Senate the, the sort of genesis of the conservative reform movement is a great, great thing. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, and... Uh you know, I, I'm still thinking back to how you just started the segment talking about the Nor'easters. I graduated from Green Bay Southwest, and every now and again we'd talk about renaming the school mascot the Nor'easter. So we'd be the <laughs> Southwest Nor'easters. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing how people are trying to reclaim words or, or you know, talk about climate change because, of course, global warming, well, we, we showed that that wasn't actually occurring, and now it's they're going to try to claim that any change is attributable there, but that that's getting off topic. I, I just, uh, I really, uh, the, the first Senate district is a fundamentally a conservative district, and the second assembly district certainly is as well, although people forget that when I first entered the chamber, I actually had to defeat an incumbent Democrat, and uh, I'm very pleased that I have uh, really uh, gotten results for my district and, and actually haven't even had a Democrat run against me the last couple cycles, but I like to remind people that, you know, if you look at issue after issue that I've taken the lead on, whether that is tort reform or environmental issues, whether that's pro-life or Second Amendment rights or cutting down on public benefit fraud, uh, any number of issues where I've raised the ire of those on the left, and they really didn't even run anybody against me. And I think that's because as conservatives, when we articulate our vision, when we talk about why it is that we are conservatives and, and what the effect is of getting government out of the way of doing the right thing, we win. And I've been able to make that case directly to my constituents and been very active going around the district and, and look forward to expanding those travels around the first Senate district. But uh, to the extent that I've, you know, and I've, I've been on the media a lot up in northeast Wisconsin over the last several years. And uh, I really enjoy the retail politics of explaining what it means to be a conservative and how it is that uh, we can get these reforms done. And 
the sky doesn't fall like they said it was going to happen. Let me let, let me tell done. you. I'm going to tell you why you win in just a second here. But do you think you're too conservative or too pro-life, not for your district, but for the assembly, particularly oh. with regard to leadership? You know, I, I I give a lot of credit to uh, my colleagues that join me, uh, both in the Assembly and the Senate, but uh, particularly those that, that helped me to get the audit of Planned Parenthood and climb back those funds within the, the state budget. And that was something that I was very proud that we were able to achieve within the state budget. I'd like to think that if I were in the Senate, we might have gotten even more because, uh, quite frankly, it, it should be a no-brainer to take the fraud that you know is going on with Planned Parenthood and to return those millions of dollars to the taxpayers. But, uh, you know, as a result, we now have what I believe is by far uh, the largest state audit of Planned Parenthood, and it's going to be the largest recapture of funds from Planned Parenthood. And that's the sort of thing that, uh, you know, hopefully sets the table for some things down the road. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess I would I would say that I'm proud of what we have been able to accomplish. Maybe it's not always accomplished as easily as I might hope initially, but uh, uh, that being said, uh, you know, regardless of how we got there, there have been uh, a lot of uh, a lot of conservative reforms that we've gotten done in Wisconsin that people never thought we were going to be able to. All right, for. Well, I mean, I, chair, that's a diplomatic way of not answering my question, but I agree with you. <laughs> All right, I, I appreciate what you're that that was a question that could that could could be politically perilous. Um, let me tell you why I think you win, Andre, and that is because I've never since I've met you ever heard you um, change your position. I've never heard you walk back a you know a core belief that you've had. I've never heard you fear explaining conservative principles. You do it with confidence and you do it with a smile on your face. And I think that translates even to people who might not have originally when they when you know when the first election took place, didn't know if they wanted to vote for you, but probably came around later saying, you know, Andre Jacques stands up for the district, Andre Jacques stands up for his principles, Andre Jacques stands up for constituents, and I think that's really at the end of the day, what gets you elected in Wisconsin if you're in a, a rational district that isn't populated by a bunch of leftist snowflakes? Well, thank you, thank you Vicki. You know, it's I, I've just been amazed at the groundswell of support that I've received. Of course, now and certainly uh, when I've come under fire in the past and, uh, you know, we've been able to make some great things happen. I certainly give you a lot of credit and, and those on talk radio that have helped keep pushing us in the right direction because, there are things that we got done, whether it was right to work or prevailing wage, where I chaired the labor committee and, and people said we were never going to get either of those things. And we got them both done last session. We were able to finish the job on prevailing wage this time. And there's certainly even more that we can still do. But uh, you're right. When we uh, when we explain, uh, we win. And the sky doesn't fall. And uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for more conservative reforms in the future. And I Hope very much to be a part of that in the state senate, and I hope very much that we eventually see something that looks like your original bill that would ban the trade and and sale of body parts of of baby body parts as well. I, I was I'm still sort of shocked that we did not get substantial legislative support for that in the beginning. Well, I, you know, I think that progress is being made, and, and as you mentioned, I mean, I think I think the senate is where the action is on that. Yeah, and, and I think the Senate has, has moved in the right direction, and I think, you know, 
certainly there are areas where the Assembly or the Senate have chosen to be leaders on various reforms, and I, I want to encourage that. I don't want to say that uh, the Senate is going to always be where that, that happens, because I know historically the Assembly has, and hopefully will continue to, to push forward on things. But uh, I, I mean, I think we want to encourage both legislative chambers, whenever possible, to look at free market reforms, to look at conservative reforms, and look at ways to, again, get government out of the way. And I think that both chambers can be leaders in that. And, and I think one person has a little bit greater opportunity to have that impact in the state Senate. And that's why I'm, I'm hoping to make a, a, bigger, uh, a bigger difference for my neighbors by moving over to the, the first Senate. Andre Jack, thanks very much for jumping on the program today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Vicki. Always a pleasure. we got to take a quick break here. That was State Rep. Andre Jacques. Perhaps sometime soon to be State Senator Andre Jacques. We'll be right back. I don't know what that means, Dave. Is that six? Is that what that no, means? No, about three and a half. Okay. Coming up, um, we're going to get into the decision by the city of Madison to deny a liquor license for Taco Bell. Not because wine and beer don't necessarily go with the fare served at Taco Bell. At least that's my opinion. I wouldn't be ordering it. But because apparently adults can't be trusted to choose for themselves whether or not they think wine and beer go with a fare served at Taco Bell. That really is what this is about. The denial of a liquor license. In fact, Soglin has tried to get liquor has tried to veto liquor licenses for a number of different food establishments downtown because apparently he has resurrected the idea of alcohol temperance. Do we have rum by gum? Do you have can we play it? Rum by gum. It just it just makes you mental. It's got, it's surely going to be an old folk singer singing it. We're coming, we're coming, our brave little band. On the right side of temperance, left side, we do take our stand. We must get hurt daily because we do. Okay, think, did you hear what he just said? Go down. Don't! That's the wrong one. That's the dirty version of it. Oh, Dave, did you not know that? Oh, my gosh. Hang on a second. All right. I think I caught it. All right, Dave, can I, can I, tell, can I explain to the listeners what just happened? We were going to play Rum by Gum. <laughs> Dave picked the wrong one. And uh, it had the dirty words in it. It wasn't unairable. Dave, it was just inappropriate. It wasn't unairable, just inappropriate. So anyway, um, we were going to play Paul Soglin's theme song, but we found the um, the R-rated version of it rather than the G-rated version of it. You didn't even know. That is so funny. Do you know what color your face is right now? I didn't listen to it all the way through. Your face is about the, the color of a pomegranate. Anyway, we are going to talk a bit more about that because this is... The, when was the last time we had this happening? Back when, when, you know, Field Marshal Cheslevich was trying to shut down the State Street Halloween party, which has eventually been recreated into Freak Fest. 
back when liquor license attrition was taken up by the Common Council, back when the drink special ban resulted in a lawsuit against the city. We're, we're apparently flashing back to, what, 2004, 2005. And in 2004 and 2005, they were flashing back, you know, to 1928. Liberals, you don't like it when people are allowed to choose for themselves, do you? Soglin doesn't like sidewalk cafes. Soglin doesn't like people drinking downtown. He doesn't like folks calling for cabs or hailing cabs. He doesn't like this stuff because he's become a grumpy old man. He's a grumpy old liberal now. And this is apparently the affliction of of old progressives. They just become grumpy, not in my backyard, get off my lawn, um, the no fun zone. Now, if these were people from the right, we'd be mocking them like, you know, the community, the, the town in the movie Footloose or in Pleasantville. But no, they're coming at this from the left. This is what they were saying about it. We don't think that just because you can grant a liquor license to the Taco Bell downtown, that you should grant a liquor license to the Taco Bell downtown. He claimed the bigger picture was alcohol availability. He said that the moment you provide opportunities for people to consume alcohol, bad things happen. And he thinks that by denying the Taco Bell the liquor license, somehow they're going to have an impact on the cumulative effect of the volume of liquor consumed creating the problems of violence downtown. Really? You think that... Having a glass of wine with your tostada is somehow that that could, that only can be served until 11 p.m. on weekends is going to be the thing that pushes the alcohol-related violence downtown past the point of being of the Madison City Police Department being able to handle it. Yeah, okay. That's why Taco Bell is not going to get a liquor license. Because apparently Paul Soglin thinks that he's going to be solving the problem of violence downtown by denying the liquor license to that particular establishment. We'll be right back. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicki at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. Welcome back to the program. We have another word for you to try to win $1,000. I hope you people are playing this contest. All right, here's your word for this hour. The last hour word has expired. This is the new word to play the grand in your hand. Who came up with that grand in your hand? 
know, we call that the cold hard cash contest in, in another market. Anyway, it's the grand in your hand contest here. The grand in your hand. So if you'd like to have a grand in your hand, then text the word bills, bills, as in gotta pay the bills, to the number 200-200, and you could win $1,000 instantly in the grand in your hand contest. The word is bills. Text it in to the number 200-200, and you will receive a confirmation text that you entered the contest. You will also receive additional texts from iHeartRadio. Remember, standard data and message rates apply. Based on your own plan, your own cell phone plan. Bills, B-I-L-L-S, is your word. I said that like it was a very serious thing. Bills. All right. So good luck to you. I hope you win. If you do win, we'll announce your name on the air. Bills. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the massive monster of regulation and how it is so difficult to get our arms around it because there are so many that it's hard to, you know, it's hard to create constituencies for some of the smaller regulations. And so some of the bigger ones you can take care of, some of the smaller ones just end up crushing people over time. Um, but we're going to get to that on the program. You know what I was looking for the other day, Dave, and I can't, I could not find it. I've been checking my Amazon alerts to see if my package has arrived at my home and still no confirmation of that. Uh, and that is earmuffs. I was looking for behind-the-head earmuffs. Yeah, the kind that go behind your neck. Not the kind that go over your head like headphones, but like behind-the-ear headphones. Behind-the-head earmuffs. I couldn't even find regular earmuffs. I went to all of the stores I could think of, and I could not find regular earmuffs. And I, I think what's going on is retail is, is out of whack. It's now cold, right? I think you could find the earmuffs two months ago when you first saw winter coats hit the stores back when it wasn't cold. You remember? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? You know, I was thinking the other mo- day, how about some winter gloves? I couldn't find winter gloves no in kidding. the store. No kidding. Walmart still has some winter gloves, but I don't know if they have your size. I saw some, but they were, you know, they were also not the thin silic kind. So I, I didn't check Farm and Fleet. You know, I didn't check some of these stores like that. I maybe could have found something there. But I went to the, you know, Walmart, Target, these places, and I couldn't find earmuffs. And I couldn't find thin silic lined gloves. And, and I, I was looking for these things because it's really cold. But they're already gone. It's like they've moved out the inventory. And now you can't find them. What the hell? Retail is all out of whack. They've moved this stuff in a season early. But then when the, you would think, you know, when the season is upon us, um, there would be an ample supply of snow shovels and an ample supply of earmuffs and an ample supply of very warm winter gloves. But yeah, it's late. You know, it's late in the season. Christmas is over, and so trying to—I f- was looking after Christmas, trying to find uh, some of this stuff late in the season. I, so anyway, I ordered on Amazon. I had to pay premium price for earmuffs on, and, and thin slit line gloves. I think I paid seventeen bucks. I should have been able to get these things for like eight dollars for the gloves, and then uh, something like twenty-one bucks. For the earmuffs, it's ridiculous. Now I'm waiting because it's so flipping cold outside that I very much like these things. Uh, I don't, alas, have word in my uh, in my inbox that my packages have arrived yet. But yeah, 
It was driving me crazy. Driving all over the place. Contributing to the, you know, obvious problem we've got going on right now, which is, of course, you know, high temperatures, global warming, driving my truck around. Yeah. Maybe you can explain it to me, you retail experts, but uh, I just think that there ought to be a supply set aside. I understand the early season stuff. I get it. But maybe, you know, set aside a supply of the stuff or like when we need it. You know, I don't I don't buy batteries until I need them. <laughs> I can always go to the store and buy them though. Anyway, I got to actually plan ahead for the the sub-zero arctic freeze that came upon us a month early, I guess. Yeah. Nothing I can do about it. I just got to sit and wait. Wait patiently. I bet you my mail lady has thin slit lined gloves. I bet you she has earmuffs. Anyway, we're going to take a break and I want to come back and talk about why it is so difficult to get people to care. And and Trump's deregulation of his first year, which didn't get any attention at all, but was removing 21 regulations or rules for every one added is the reason why, before tax reform, the economy caught fire. And it's that important. So why doesn't anybody care? That's next. Well, I haven't heard this song in a while. Not since I saw Dave Matthews live. Which, by the way, is the way I like to listen to Dave Matthews. Can't listen to it in the car. Don't know why. However, I've seen the guy live three times. Is that I strange? No, I, I just don't. I don't like his songs on the radio. But I, but I've gone to see. I've paid to go see Dave Matthews three times, and I've enjoyed the show immensely every time I've gone. I just I can't explain it. It's the only artist I can think of that I I would always rather prefer to hear live than recorded songs on the radio. Now, strange. I don't know what it is. It must be the bomb cyclone brewing off the East Coast. The bomb cyclone, formerly known as a nor'easter. But we would prefer to call it a bomb cyclone because it scares the bejeebers out of people. When you say bomb cyclone, plus I can lower my voice and say bomb cyclone. I can't really say nor'easter. Gonna have to get and, a sounder for that for tomorrow. Yeah, I know. Uh, anyway, so it, I can I can project bomb cyclone better than nor'easter. That almost sounds too polite. Anyway, um, I want to talk about regulation, and there is uh, there have been a number of attempts to focus people's attention on the importance of regulation, and I think by and large, some groups do a very good job of getting people to pay attention to very, very large, costly regulations. And and then, in, indeed, there is some success in rolling them back. So think the insane net neutrality, which actually wasn't net neutrality. It was Title I, uh, rather, Title II reclassification of 
the internet, the uh, clean power plan. These are huge, huge things. But what about the smaller things that actually nickel and dime businesses to death and actually run up that regulatory tab federally to $1.7 trillion per year? And at the state level, I can't even calculate. I have Devin Westhill on the phone from the Federalist Society to talk about the Regulatory Transparency Project, an attempt to focus people's attention on the importance of the silent economic killer and silent liberty killer. And it's great to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Devin, I did call 202, the area code. Are you in the pathway of the bomb cyclone? I'm worried about you. We really are. And uh, hopefully I can make it into the office tomorrow. I'm not sure, though. You know, the bomb cyclone. The bomb cyclone. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> You're probably used to calling them nor'easters, aren't you? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a transplant from Florida up here, uh, so it's, <laughs> It's new for me. Uh, you're like, you're like, please, I'm used to hurricanes. Give me a break. <laughs> exactly right. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about, first off, um, I do think there's a problem in getting people to to focus attention in on things that I think would even be very, very interesting to them. And that's because the number of rules, regulations that have the force of law, sometimes with criminal penalties attached at the state and federal level, are so numerous, it's hard to find a constituency for each one. So here in Wisconsin, we've got uh, raw milk, for instance. You can't buy raw milk. Lots of people like to drink it, but it's not a big enough constituency to get anybody really amped up about it. And so a few attempts to try to, you know, help those people out here and there, they fall by the wayside. And we've probably got a thousand of these at our state. No, that's that's true. And, and one of the things that the Regulatory Transparency Project, this new venture the Federalist Society is looking at, um, our state and, and don't forget local regulation as well, uh, because that, that's a serious drag on opportunity, uh, upward mobility, innovation uh, in the economy as well. Uh, but I'll, I'll go back uh, one step here. You mentioned that uh, one of the big problems getting people to focus on regulation um, is, is that uh, it's the sheer size and, and scope of it. Um, I might also say that it's not really seen quite as uh, acutely as taxes are, for example. We get people really upset about tax. Um, but what regulation really is, reg- regulatory compliance, um, it actually is, and what has been described uh, by many people as, is, is a stealth tax. That's why people don't really get so uh, up in arms about it. Um, but if people really understood just how much uh, uh, of a drag on economic growth regulation can be, I think they would be really up in arms about it, just like they are about uh, obvious tax, not just stealth tax. Right. I think your number's a little bit low. I, I, I've, I've seen research uh, that suggests the drag on economic growth can be as much as $4 trillion a year. That's $13,000 for every man, woman, and child in the United States. Yeah, and uh, that, which is, and, and you may be right. I mean, I, the last number I saw was a couple of years old, and, and it may have been a conservative estimate. And again, these are all estimates. So based on economic models and what these regulations can do, uh, and they may have only looked at the top line, sort of big, big regulations, but 
don't look at the state level regulations. You know, here in Wisconsin, if you um, if you don't have a wildlife rehabilitation license, you can't have wildlife. And so we ended up losing our Jimmy the Groundhog on Groundhog Day because the person who owned the groundhog didn't have a wildlife rehabilitation license. I mean, think this is how stupid it can get. To sell Christmas trees in Wisconsin, you need a license. I'm just thinking of local regulations here. To be an auctioneer, you need a license. Why? To braid hair, a license. Why? Pierce ears. This is, I mean, these are ways that you can cage people out, but there are also ways that people have to pay more. There's a, there's a story today from yesterday, actually, about Oregon finally rolling back a prohibition on pumping your own gas, and you would swear... <laughs> People were lighting their hair on fire and committing suicide in the streets because they couldn't believe that somebody thought the cost of that regulation was too high. I, I, I that's 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 sad to hear. Um, but you, you you shouldn't stop there. I mean, if we go around the country, not just in Wisconsin, although I know that your listeners are interested in that, but uh, all around the country, there are these what's called occupational licensing uh, uh, regulations that you're referring to. Uh, you need a, a license to be an animal breeder, to be an auctioneer, a barber, uh, cat groomer, florist, elevator operator, hair bears, all sorts of things. Um, and it makes one wonder, well, why is that the case? Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head, at least in part, uh, why that's the case. And that's because industry insiders would like to uh, essentially raise prices by keeping people out of these industries that would... Um, um, essentially lower prices because you know there'll be more people to provide sure. services. Well, absolutely. And then you've got people who have got a vested interest in keeping the the cage, you know, the cage walls very, very high. These are the people who offer the training and things like that. We've worked um, pretty hard here very recently in occupational licensing in my state, at least on the cosmetology end. But there's still a long list of licenses. But it's all regulations. It's not just, say, occupational licensing. But think minimum wage. Notice that whenever there's a proposal for minimum wage increases, the larger businesses sort of hang back. They don't do much about that. That potentially hammers those small businesses. We saw it crush restaurants in Seattle. We've seen it crush other places, smaller businesses that can't afford to absorb additional labor costs. And and yet those larger businesses that can, they just hang back. They don't engage in the fight. Again, there this is a constituency that benefits if there's less competition in the marketplace. Well, I, I, I think there's probably some, some truth to that. Um, there, there's a big business CEO, uh, and uh, I won't name names, but in, in, in uh, New York, financial services CEO, who said, you know, actually, I like regulation. I think it's a good thing because it creates a, a larger moat around my business right. and it keeps competitors out. So I think you're right about that how, in, in one part. How do you get people to pay attention to this? Because it is hidden. Um, it's not even like a sales tax. It's more like a value-added tax. It's built into every element of manufacturing and deliveries of services and, and goods. How do you get people to pay attention? Because so many of these are boutique. So think of our, our cookie rule in Wisconsin where small bakers can't sell home-baked cookies. Um, that's silly. But there's a tiny constituency of people. So to try to get a lobby to, you know, to activate on behalf of that tiny group of people is very difficult. I, I, you know, there's two different things there in that question. One is how to get people to pay attention. Secondly, how do you actually mobilize people to get up in arms about things? Um, both of those are very difficult, but there's things that we're trying, those are things we're trying to do with the uh, with the regulatory transparency project. Uh, one thing that we're doing and one thing that we've done is put together a group of 
uh, around 120 experts on these different areas. And what we want them to do uh, is to identify. Actually, don't just say, you know, there are problems with the regulatory state, there are issues here and there. Really put our finger on where the issues lie uh, and then get out and talk about those things. Do what I'm doing tonight and talking to your listeners about those specific areas that people should be concerned about. Um, and it might not always, and it won't always, uh, affect uh, particular segments of the population uh, as acutely uh, or as as target uh, as as, as targeted, but uh, but over time, I think what we'll be able to do is create a national discussion about. Wait a second, uh, you know that didn't affect me, that didn't affect me, but this does, and that didn't, but that does, and that affects my colleague or my friend or my client. Um, and it, and it, I think the 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 weight of that uh, over time uh, might motivate people not only get them to pay attention, but motivate people to. Uh, maybe be uh, have a healthy skepticism of more and greater regulation. Well, and and I think that really they need to put pressure on their on their legislators. No more rules, you know. I mean, at the state level is probably where you're you're getting hit the hardest. And people, we focus a lot on federal regulation. Um, and Donald Trump, by the way, has been doing a a marvelous job actually eliminating regulations for new ones that are being that are being added. Um, and and it's showing, by the way, the the economy is responding to that. You have actually seen that. F- you can map it almost in the last year since the um, the great regulatory rollback had begun. And, and some of it's just benign regulatory neglect. Um, but a lot of it's active regulatory rollback. And I mean, it's just it has been dramatic. So but what people, I think, need are legislators who are who are not who are willing to commit to no more new rules, no more new tax rules, you know, no more new occupational rules, no enroll back existing rules. I love the idea of saying for every one regulation in 10 go out, you know, or something like that. But, but it's, it really does have to start with people paying attention to the impact of this at any, at any scale, be it local or, or federal. No, I, I, I have to agree. I mean, the Federal Society doesn't take positions on these sorts of policy initiatives, but we like to raise the question, to debate the issues, to, to put it out for other people to make their own decisions. But I, I think you're right. Putting pressure on certain elected officials uh, can, can, can pay dividends. Um, and President Trump, you're right. Um, although this, this project precedes his election, yes. um, has done a great job. It's actually, for every one regulation, 22 have been... It's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. Um, by the way, if people want to learn, and there are some crazy, you think Wisconsin's got some crazy ones, go to regproject.org, regproject.org, because there are states that have even nuttier regulations than we have in our state. We're probably about middle of the pack. And uh, Devin, thanks very much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Good to have you on the show. Devin Westhill from uh, Federalist Society and regproject.org. I mean, maybe because there's so much attention now being paid to Donald Trump's actions at the federal level, maybe people will start paying attention a little bit more acutely at the local and state level. Uh, And with the good work by our legislature and occupational licensing, who knows, maybe we're off to a good start. Be right back. You know, I don't know how many of you, you, most of you probably know about this story about Oregon. Not Oregon, the state of Oregon, and their decision to allow some communities to permit self-service gas pumping. Yeah, that's one of those kooky regulations that was solely designed with, with protectionism in mind. It's what our minimum markup law is all about. 
That's a regulation that is solely designed uh, as, as protectionist for a certain class of businesses at the expense of consumers. And in, in Oregon, um, it is at the expense of consumers. Very few people were upset that self-service gas stations are going to be legal in some communities in Oregon. There was some, some great internet trolling on that, but it was the, the lion's share of people in Oregon were desperately hoping that that could be the law because a lot of filling stations shut down, particularly in rural communities or, or communities that didn't have a lot of traffic after certain hours. So uh, that was one of those regulations that was just solely there because there was a constituency of, of you know businesses that were powerful and had lobbyists that they paid for that allowed that ridiculous regulation to continue on as long as it did. By the way, New Jersey is now the last state that does not permit self-service gas stations. It's, it's just, it's incredible. That's what uh, Devin was, was getting at and what I was getting at in that last segment there. All right. On to Dane County we go. Here we are, actually, in Dane County, but we're going to move on to Dane County business. Uh, Supervisor, Dane County Board Supervisor Ron Farrell is on the phone with me right now. Um, Sad news in this new year from Ron Farrell. What is your sad news, Ron? Well, due to a lot of uh, circumstances, I will not be running for re-election this April. We've had some significant changes in our family, and uh, I need to put family first ahead of the county board. And it literally has just come up in the past couple of weeks, and even just today I've received a couple of more pieces of information that just reconfirmed my uh, getting out of the, or not running for re-election. Um, and we don't know what's going to happen in your district, but, um, and I've said this before, the last time you're on the show, Mike Willett was on the show with you and he had also made the decision not to run again. Uh, and again, also family considerations. Um, you guys were the two sane, lone sane voices on the Dane County board. And so there's a lot of people who are worried that now there's no sane voices on the Dane County board. Well, we've asked for many times when we've been on your show, myself Mm -hmm. and Mike, together and separately, we've asked people to step forward and had a few do it through the years, but uh, haven't haven't been successful getting anyone to step forward this year. And we both have our own lives to to live, and it was the right decision for both of us. I, I know it is for me, and I'm sure it is for Mike. What um, the conditions on the board, and, and I was talking about this a bit earlier uh, when I was talking about the Brown County situation with Rick Essenberg, but, you know, not, not specifically with, with, with Dane County in mind. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But in Dane County, there is almost no constraint whatsoever on spending. It's almost as if... Um, you know, levy limits are a suggestion. And despite the fact that they're binding, there's all kinds of different ways to do end runs around it. And while borrowing continues to skyrocket, uh, put constraints on the operating budget. And, you know, it's always it's always Dane County pleading poverty. One of the Badger football team's best plays the last several years has been the jet sweep. 
running the wide receiver across the formation and giving him the ball to go around the end. And that's what I think Dane County has been doing with the levy limits, doing the jet sweep around the end, of, you know, around the levy limits, finding any way and every way they can to avoid levy limits, whether it's additional borrowing of, for things that shouldn't be borrowed or finding ways to not really count the money in against the levy limit because they can say, well, it really was borrowing sort of, or we're offloading it on some other right. agency. And it's just, you know, it's one thing after another. There's a lot of leaks in the dam of the levy limit. Well, now it's a wheel tax, too, and that wheel tax and, is supposed to be earmarked for transportation, but transportation can become anything you want it to become, and it's just additional revenue to the bottom line of the budget that is eventually going to push the floor of spending higher. And they're not adding to the adding to the transportation. They're actually taking away what's existing and then just replacing it with the wheel tax. Now, it is a little bit more money than the current transportation money is, but they're going to take the 5 or 6 or $7 million in transportation budget and then just spend it on something else. Again, a way around the levy limit. Now, it's illegal. I'm not saying it's illegal, but it's just a, a way to avoid making tough decisions. Well, and that's what that's the problem. Even with the law in place, you've got Act 10 in place. And the Dane County Board found a way around an end run around Act 10. Instead of, you know, going to the voters for raises for public employees, they just raised the minimum wage. They just raised the bottom line minimum wage, which ratcheted up everybody's wages based on union contracts. That's how Dane County rolls. Well, Dane County actually did it a little bit different. They don't, we don't actually have unions with the, uh, for Dane County employees Oh, I'm anymore. sorry. That's right. We don't have unions. We have work groups. We have work groups, which aren't covered under the Act 10 law. And then we can do basically the same thing we did with the unions as with the new work groups. What? And the How? cost for labor goes up you know, somewhere between a million and a million and a half dollars a year if we don't hire any new people. Just the additional cost for uh, increased pay, increased benefits, and, and other things, step increases, it's a million to a million and a half dollars a year. And that comes right out of the taxpayers' pockets. Yeah. So I don't know if you've been mapping this since you've been on the board. How long have you been on the board, by the way? Uh, I'll be finishing up 10 years. 10 years. So each year, the cost of doing business in Dane County goes up dramatically. I know each year the borrowing, the, the debt service goes up every single day. So the cost of doing business in Dane County goes up dramatically. How has the service improved based on the cost going up? I don't know that it's significantly improved. We've, there have been some spot improvements, but overall, it's probably the same as it was 10 years ago, maybe a little bit worse. Maybe a little bit worse, and yet substantially more expensive. Substantially. What's lacking? I mean, I know that you, there's nothing, you know, once you vacate your seat. And um, and I, a little birdie tells me that there is a good person who's going to be running in your seat. Um, I don't know how difficult it's going to be to win that seat. Uh, but um, but what needs to change? If, if you could, I mean, if you could wave a wand, if you could have 15 people on the board, what would be the one thing that could, that could begin to get Dane County's fiscal house in order? Uh, controlling the borrowing, and you would need 10 people willing to uh, take a tough vote to to stop unnecessary borrowing. Now, notice I said unnecessary and not all borrowing. Uh, we actually did that a few years ago and took a lot of heat for it, but we actually cut the borrowing down for one year by you know several millions of dollars. And we would it would need to be something that would happen year in and year out to get that daily debt 
down to where it's more sustainable. Ten. And then you, and then you have other ways to to find uh, you know more efficiencies within the departments and perhaps looking at cutting some programs that are unnecessary. There's a lot of duplication of programs, especially within the social services area in Dane County. And, there, you know, money can be saved or money can be spent on different priorities. We don't set priorities at Dane County. It's just what else can we spend on? What do else do we need to add? Your constituents cared, obviously, or do you think it was because you knocked on their door every election and you said, hey, this is what's going on. Um, and you won your district. Your district was a, a more, I, I use the word loosely, conservative district, but conservative as it's defined in Dane County is different than conservative as it's defined nationally. So, I mean, you know, you're still talking about a district that went for Obama uh, and voted for Hillary Clinton. So why is it that that your people in your district seem to care and people in Mike's district seem to care, but does it seem like nobody else really puts any effort into getting out there and, and you know, and, and trying to figure out what's going on? I think there's a lot of people in, in the districts here on the west side of Madison, town of Middleton, and in the Verona area that people actually pay attention to, oh, I don't know, say their property tax bill, and they realize how much it's going up, and they start noticing that county line is many hundreds and thousands of dollars on some of these housing units out here. And they actually say, "Hey, what you know? What can I do about that? I like my good schools. I can, I, but I have, but I can vote for a referendum. I've never seen a referendum to to curb or add to county spending. And so people actually pay attention when you come to the doors and say, "Hey, I want to talk to you about the the sheriff's department. I want to talk to you about the jail. I want to talk to you about, you know, the highways, the county highways, and what kind of bad shape they're in, and what we can do to make yeah, them and, better." Yeah, and do you think that it makes more sense to invest in better roadways, or more sheriff's deputies, or a better, bigger jail, or do you think it makes more sense to buy uh, rain-making machines and you know tampon dispensers for the public parks? I'll go with choice number one there. Yeah. Most people would, but that's 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 another thing that I mean, raining in the borrowing is so huge because that's where all of these these little things pile up. You know, floodlights for um, somebody's pet soccer field project, or or land bridges for salamanders, and you know, in greening Dane County by you know essentially buying expensive green materials that will never ever ever pay back to the county taxpayers. Um, and there, there literally were two people on the board who actually cared enough to, to point any of that out. No media seemed to be interested and still doesn't seem to be interested, Ron. The only media contact I've had in the last couple of years was just uh, since yesterday, people saying, hey, what's going on? Why aren't you running? And my, my response to them would have been, uh, where were you the last two years? No kidding. Ask me about different you know, thoughts I might have or different... Uh, subjects and different issues but uh, you know they're pretty quiet in that front. Yeah, well I would I would correct you the other media contact you had is me. Uh but um but that's that's it. So not TV, not not newspapers, nothing. No. Nope. Wow. That's how little I mean really. This is the most I, I guess that all it takes to to care in Dane County is to claim you care. Right. That's all that that that's all that matters. Just say it and then you can not pay any attention and not know a damn thing. And then at the same time, have Ron Farrell or Mike Willett or somebody stand up at the county board and say, hey, this is wrong. This is going on. And for your efforts, the same ignorant people who don't know what's going on, because let's face it, they don't care. or Nobody tells them call you racist for the efforts.
or they call us Nazis, or or the vote is thirty-five to two. You know, so but you know, we we try. We've done what we could for the last. Well, Mike's been on the board longer than I I have been. I've been doing it for ten years, and he'd been doing it for uh, close to fourteen. He was off for one term, but came back. And uh, you know, it's you can only do what you can do. It's it's challenging to be in the minority on a on a board like that. Well, Ron, I thank you for what you've done. Um, it's given me an awful lot of information. Um, I hope you know somehow you'll still be able to get the information so I can know what our daily debt service is going to be. Because what is it now? It's one hundred and seventy thousand dollars a day, something like that. And that's actually public information. I can easily get that figure once the the budget comes out every or the proposed budget comes out on October first. That money or that information is in the public record. Good to have you on the program, Ron, and thank you for all you've done. I want to thank you for having me, and I want to thank the voters of District 15 for all the help that they've given me in the last 15 or last 10 years. Good to have you on the show. And uh, a lot of people are, are probably going to be upset to learn that you're not running again, but, um, you know, there's only, there's only so much punishment you're going to put yourself through. You well, and I mean? just as I said, family issues have, have taken the forefront here. We've got some major problems and challenges going on both my family and my wife's family, and it's time to take care of those things. It's time, yeah, it's time for you. Thank you for being on the show, Ron. Okay, thank you. Got to take a quick break here. That was Ron Farrell. Westside Madison is his district on the county board. Let's see. So that leaves no rational voices on the Dane County Board now that Willett has announced he is not going to seek re-election. And Farrell has announced he is not going to seek re-election. I'm hopeful that a couple of candidates will emerge um, who are decent. But um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll be right back. We've tested the dump button, have we, Dave? It's working. All right, Roy, ignore my email. So do we have, do you have the little slice of audio to show you what a dump sounds like? I want, to, I want people to know what a dump sounds like. Because it's always so, it's always so weird when it happens. Actually, I closed the air log. You I already did the air it. tracker. We, we were trying to play an, the old song from the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Wait, let me pull it up without the dump on. <laughs> No, don't pull it out without the dump on. The dump button is the delay. That's the broadcast delay. And Dave, in looking for this song, which is difficult to find, you usually find some folk singer singing it, because I don't think there's a recording of it, you know, a proper recording of it. Um, he pulls a recording of this song, but it's a, it's a parody. And it's, a, it's, it's dirty. It's got dirty lyrics. And anyway... Those of you listening on the stream heard it, and you, and those of you listening on the stream who heard it also know that it wasn't X-rated. It was R-rated. So it wasn't, you know, so bad that we all have to, you know, go to church tonight or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, so I think it was so funny because you were, I was like, Dave, dump it. Dump that. And I have the I have the button right next to me as well, so I was like, "Oh, geez, I've got one. Yeah, I've got a I've got a broadcast delay," and I just so anyway, that's what happened. So we we weren't able. To, maybe tomorrow we will uh, try to bring you a proper of uh, Paul Soglin's theme song, which um, you know apparently is all about banning ways to have fun in Madison. 
And all these, you know, nanny state progressives, they all love this is progress, man. I think I should put the word clean in my criteria for searching for that. Yes. The, yes. Clean version. Clean. Because apparently there's parody versions out there that use naughty, naughty imagery in them. Anyway, um, it's not going to be on the podcast because we clean up the podcast for download purposes is from what I was told, right? That one won't be on the pod. Well, Dave says I might leave it on the podcast. I don't want you to get in trouble again. Anyway, we are out of time. I'll see you all tomorrow. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.